We are back, and it's Monday here on the Blue Bloods. We start the episode by discussing the situation brewing in Tallahassee, where multiple players could be boycotting voluntary workouts this summer. Then we continue our hot seat segment, and we continue our group of five run here, and we move on to the Mountain West. Then we go on to debating which school has the best wide receiving core in college football heading into this next season. And we wrap it up with your favorite segment, our recruiting update. And today we head down to look at the 2021 recruiting class of the Miami Hurricanes. We have a full show today, guys. So let's kick it off. So this past week, many news stories have come out on various responses, opinions, etc. on the state of the world right now. But Deshaun Reed of The Athletic reported that Mike Norval, current Florida State head coach, former Memphis head coach, said that he had open communications and individual conversations with each player of the Seminoles about the current events surrounding our country. Marvin Wilson, arguably the top prospect from the Seminoles best player responded to the report and said that the report was false and that Norval sent an automated text message and there was no one-on-one talk between the players and Norval. He then went on to call Norval a liar and said that the whole team was outraged and would not be working out until further notice. So Brandon, this is a tough time for the country as a whole, but what do you think about, you know, Nor- Norval right now and what could we see be done by Florida State and their players and how could this affect them early in the season man I, and it might not even just be the uh, early in the season that it affects them I think this could potentially affect their entire season and it it might affect Mike Norval's job overall really um, uh, you can't come out and say something like that you know especially not right now you can't come out and say hey I've been having open communication with these players your first year head coach. This is a very pivotal time in our in our nation's history. There's a lot going on. Everyone knows. Um, uh, you can't say, "Hey, I'm here to talk to my players. I'm here to listen to my players," but then send out a mass text message to every single player on the team. Like they get the same thing, and you act like and you try to play it off like you've been having um, open communication, like you've been talking to them just freely. I mean, that's not going to fly. And he, I don't know how he didn't foresee this, how he didn't think that someone would call him out on it. Um, I, I mean, it, it makes it, – it's almost making light of everything that's going on, really, by 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 lying about having open communication with his players. And so, I mean, obviously, there's a clear divide in Florida State's locker room right now, right? I mean, it's, it's Mike Norval versus the world, really. Um, it's his entire team saying, hey, we're not going to come to work out. I know they're voluntary workouts. I get that. But players usually go to those. So it, it's going to be it's, – it's a real tough look when your entire team decides, you know what, we're going to boycott. Um, so I don't know, man. This really – I don't know a college football team that can operate without a head coach. Um, and it, it looks like the players have chosen and have opted to have uh, 
to not view Mike Norval in that in that um, leader position. Yeah, I just man, if if you I don't think you could have picked a worse time to lie about something like this. I mean, Mike Norval. I mean, you come in a first year head a first year head coach at the school. You did so. He was very very successful at Memphis. Don't get me wrong. Me and Brandon covered Memphis a lot this past year on the podcast, but. I mean, Brandon, how big is chemistry, team dynamics, the staff and player relationships for new new coaches, new coaching staffs? I mean, I can't. I don't think neither of us can stress how big that is for new programs like this. Yeah, I mean, it's your first of all. I mean, you just got hired what in January at, for this job or December? Yeah, it was. It was, so it it was, was late it December. Was January. Was it okay? It was right after the bowl game. Um, but anyway, so I mean, you just get hired. You since you've been hired, you've had what three, two and a half months of like normalcy within your program where you can actually interact with your players, and then after that, two and a half months, you know, the pandemic, the, the coronavirus pandemic hits our nation, it's the world really, but it, it, it hits our nation, and so your ties are already kind of like loosened with these players and then you go and lie about your communication with them. I mean, it's just, I don't understand. I, I respect what these players are doing a hundred percent. I don't think you can respect a head coach that wants to lie about what it's about his players. Right. And, and like, it, okay. So what I think happened, okay. Personally, I want to make a broad claim here. I really think he sent out this automated text message where they've changed like the players names and it said the same thing. And a few players did respond to him, and they had a one-on-one talk. And he just overgeneralized it and thought he was going to get away with it. I really do. I think that's what happened. I think I, I, I don't think he's a bad guy or anything like that. I just think he made a very, very bad mistake here. And when you're when you're a leader in Marvin Wilson, who when we covered the mock draft um, a little about a month or two ago. He was projected to be a top 10 pick in this next year's draft. So he has major, major pull in that locker room. So until you win him back over, I think it's going to be a tough road for Mike Norval to get any of the players on his side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you couldn't have phrased that any better. It's, you know, I think what he, what he was doing or what he was trying to do, like, he didn't have like bad intentions. And obviously I don't know. So I like, don't quote me on this. I don't think he had poor intentions for this. I think he was legitimately trying to reach out to his players, but to say that you're having individual conversations with them when you're not, is just, I mean, that's, that's, that's inexcusable. Yeah. And then, I mean, so this is the second, uh, first, first year head coach at a program that has lost their trust of their players. Mike Leach made a racially, a racially insensitive tweet as well and lost a lot of his players. Mike Norval right. didn't do something as extreme, but he still is going to lose a lot of players. I think transfers could be in the future. And what about recruiting, Brandon? I mean, it's a unique recruiting cycle with COVID-19 because these players, it's all electronic communication. There's no visits. And if, Older players aren't vouching for you and sending kids your way, or they don't have that trust in you. How in the world are you going to get recruits to come to your program? Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. You're you're not going to. Um, 
it, man, it's it, and this is an awful thing to happen to Florida State. I mean, obviously, you know, I I think that uh, Mike Norvell, you know, he deserves, you know, he he kind he kind of made his own bet here, right? Like he deserves this, um, but does Florida State deserve it? Because it's not like Florida State. They well, they very well could have come out and said, you know what, send out a, a mass generated text to your players, check on them. Um, but when they hired him, I'm sure they weren't looking for this kind of controversy this early on, right? No, definitely not. And you know, like I said early, so I'm looking at the early part of the season, the first three to four games, new staff, probably a new quarterback, new running back for sure. Uh, you have a lot of new players just in general on both sides of the ball for this program. And you open up the season in Atlanta against West Virginia, who is also going to take a huge step forward this season. And then after a tough game against Sanford, and I call that a tough game because Sanford almost beat Florida State not too long ago. Um, they have to travel to Boise State, who beat them at home last year already. And Boise State is... I promise you was looking forward to this Florida State team to come see them on the blue turf. I promise you Boise State is about to play out of their mind that game because they want to prove that they deserve the respect that most of the group of five teams don't get. So what happens if they lose both of those games and they have that one and two start? Norval might be a first-year head coach already on the hot seat. Yeah. I mean – I wish we could go back to the ACC and have our hot seat segment because at this point, it looks like he's pretty close. Well, I mean, so Brandon, if they go start one and two, they still have Clemson, Pitt, at Miami, and Florida all on that schedule. That's six losses that I could see right there. And so what happens if Norval loses a game to like like NC State or another – a decent ACC team like Boston College or something like that. If they go four and eight, five and seven to miss a bowl game, and he's lost his team, I don't think the Florida State administration is going to give him the benefit of the doubt here that an average first year coach might have. No, I think he's he's sort of in the same boat. Which obviously, what he did, in my opinion at least, wasn't nearly as bad as the things that Mike Leach did or the the tweet he sent out um, earlier this year. But I think they're sort of in the same boat at this point where they're brand new head coaches, but both of them are very close to the hot seat at this point in time. Especially if recruiting is messed up, man, because if they go like five and seven this year, then the recruiting class suffers. It's not going to look it's, it to improve. you got to recruit well. And even though Mike Norval recruited well at Memphis, he didn't have this black cloud following him either. So I've, I really think he made a giant, giant mistake here. And, you know, the, uh, uh, who, I forgot who I said, even, um, even said it. Oh, yeah. So Sean Reed of The Athletic is a known, valid reporter. So I don't think he, he, he's already came back out and said, I promise you, I didn't misquote this guy. He even sent a screenshot of his notes from the interview. Right. So, he, he, this looks like he really said it. I do think they're going to go the route of, I was misquoted. Here's what I really said. But I trust this report here, and I think it came from an accurate source. And I think Mike Norval is going to have to meet with his players, and he's going to have an uphill battle here. And we're going to find out what kind of person, what kind of coach Norval is very, very soon. Absolutely, we are. It's And 
I don't want to say I'm excited for that, but I, I, I am genuinely um, ready to see how this whole situation pans out in Tallahassee. Yeah, guys. So um, th- there's a lot of stuff going around the country, but we're going to let it rest here. We're going to go ahead, move on to our second segment of the day. And we can, we continue our hot seat segment. And in case you missed like the last month or so, this or you're a new listener, uh, this segment is where we break down which head coaches are on the hot seat going into the next college football season. We've analyzed the, the power five. We analyzed the group of fives already. We're going to keep it in the group of five today. And we're going to analyze the Mountain West. So, Brandon, oh, yeah. which head coach do you feel like is on the hot seat or which head coaches are on the hot seat right now? Okay, so it, it, as weird as it is to say, I legitimately only found one coach that I think is on the hot seat for the Mountain West. Um, and, and that's crazy to say. But hear me out. The only coach in the Mountain West that should be on the hot seat right now is uh, Brent Brennan at San Jose State. And that's because every other coach in the Mountain West is either a first-year head coach or they made a bowl game last season. Right? I, I mean, they all did. And, and so – um, I mean, there's no reason to fire your head coach who is making it to a bowl game or, you know, a brand new head coach. You know, we, we've, we've, at least from what I can remember, uh, we've never put a head coach on the hot seat when it's their first year, uh, except for we might go back on Mike Norville and, and Mike Leach. We might have to do that. But uh, Brent Brennan um, is the head coach at San Jose State. I'm sure everybody knew that already. Everyone loves San Jose State football. Um, this past season, he ended up, uh, what, what did he go? He went five and seven, which is pretty good for San Jose state. But if I had to put anybody in the hot seat, you know, it, it had to be him. It, it's only because his overall record is eight and 29 at San Jose state. Um, it is his first head coaching gig. Um, this past season when he went five and seven was an obvious upturn from his previous seasons going four and eight, two and 11, one and 11. So, yeah, there's been a recent upswing, but still, uh, it, I guess I'm, he's only on my hot seat because of his overall record. I, I can't say this past season has made me want to put him on the hot seat. I think he actually far exceeded expectations last season. San Jose State isn't a team that is just consistently going to make it to a bowl game. Um, I think people have come to accept that. But if anyone's on the hot seat in this, in this conference, it's, uh, it's Brent Brennan. You're right. Uh, and, you know, this conference, for me, I, I think you kind of already covered it, was the hardest to do. There are six new coaches in this conference, which is over half this this conference. And right. like Brandon said, there's other coaches that are like Brian Harden at Boise State where he's not going anywhere unless he takes another job. So this left us very, very few options. And, Brandon, I picked two coaches, but – my Whoa. first one is Brett Brennan at San Jose State. And like you said, this past season was the best season at this program since 2015. Yeah, and but breaking down the schedule, they benefited from a few things. They had games such as Northern Colorado, which is really, really hard to lose against. They also faced teams like Arkansas, who were losing their head coach and were unmotivated the entire year. And they, for some reason, close games swung their way. So one a one-point win over Fresno State, a one-possession win over Army. But five of Brennan's eight wins came last year. That's 
not a good look, and it kind of inflated his record a little bit. But looking at next season, I think this this program gets exposed, Brandon. I don't know if you've looked at their future schedule, but three of their first four games are on the road against teams that made or won bowl games last year. Okay, they play not good. They play at Central Michigan. They play at Penn State and then at Boise State. Those yeah, no, to me are good. three those are three surefire losses to me. And yeah, yeah, for sure. and the schedules is still one that includes games against Air Force, San Diego State, Yukon, and Hawaii. I think they lose oh, those well, games as island? well. I believe it's on the island, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they're, yeah, um, they're done for. And so that's seven guaranteed losses, in my opinion. And games against Fresno State and Nevada are not going to be easy give-me wins. And so if he goes less – if I think if he wins less than five games next season, I think it should end his time in San Jose. And I think Brennan, you said they don't make a bowl game a lot. I think he needs to make a bowl game this year to really keep his job, in my opinion. I think he's had enough time to get the program to where he wants it. And he made a jump last year. The only the, the last jump he needs is to make a bowl game. And if he's not gone this year, if he doesn't make a bowl game, he has to be gone next year, right? Uh, you would think so, but I'm going to stick to my guns here and say that it, you know, it's San Jose State. They're not a team that's so – so different teams have different expectations, obviously, right? I mean – if you're a team, you know, like Alabama, if you don't, if you aren't in, if you aren't consistently in the top ten every year, you're probably getting fired as a head coach, right? Um, unless you're Nick right. Saban. Nick Saban's never getting fired. But if you're San Jose State, if you if you go five and seven, that's pretty good, you know, considering that you over the past two seasons your combined record is three and twenty-two. So I think five and seven is a, a serious upturn, and I honestly think. I don't even know if he gets fired if he only wins four games this season. Like, is that – I don't know. I, I I can't see him getting fired just because he doesn't make a bowl game. I don't know. I, I think he has to take the next step. I really do. Um, but, Brandon, I'm going to move on to this next guy. It's a first. It's a controversial. Since we started this segment, neither of us has ever picked a coach that was a first-year head coach. But there's a first time for everything on the Blue Bloods, Brandon. And okay. I am pe- I am picking Steve Ada- I don't even know how to say his last name. Is it Adazio? Oh, I'm gonna say yeah, I'm gonna say so. Adazio. Uh, he's coaching Colorado State for the first season. So let me let me break this down for you, Brandon. I'll let you I'll let you give me your thoughts here. It, he comes from Boston College after a, a long tenure there. And he failed to succeed in one of the weakest Power Five conferences in the country. Oh, that's kind of rude. Uh, is, is, it like is it a fact? I don't know if it's a fact. I feel like it's more of an opinion. Hey, okay, if you take Clemson out, well, who you got? I mean, I still believe like it's an opinion. I don't think that that if you take Clemson out, it changes an opinion to a fact. I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. But – he consistently had decent players. Boston College is not a weak program by you know by any means. And he had opportunities. The number two position was always open in the ACC. Florida State's been down. Virginia, Virginia Tech have been inconsistent. Duke's been inconsistent. Pitt's been inconsistent. What he never delivered an ACC championship or even competed for one really. And yeah. 
there seemed to be a mediocrity just standard for, with him. And I think Colorado State has a major potential to be successful. In 2014, what, they won 10 games? And then it just kind of went downhill from there. I think Bobo st- outstayed his welcome. And this schedule is brutal this year. And I see nine, nine guaranteed losses on this schedule. Do you? I see, I see them losing to Colorado. Because Mel Tucker, well, not Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker left a very, very good like system in Colorado. I think they're going to be a lot better. I think Oregon State was is on the upswing. They have to travel to Oregon State. They have to travel to Vandy. This is one of the only wins I see on Vandy's schedule. They have to play Fresno State. They have to play Wyoming. They have to travel to San Diego State and Air Force. Then they have to play Utah State, which is not a bad team. And then they got to travel to Boise State to end the season. Yeah, no, it's no, no, no those, like losses to me. Exactly. So what happened? So if he goes two and ten, three and nine, I mean, they had a long streak of bowl appearances, and then in 2018, it fell apart to go three and nine, four and eight last season. If 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 this coach cannot bring anything over four to five wins, I think the pro- program is going to be in disarray. The fans aren't going to like it, and I think there's okay. So Brandon. The reason I picked him is he's one of the only hires that is not a young, fresh coach that has a nice trajectory to be a long-time college football coach. He's an older guy. He's been around, and that's not what you want for a rebuilding program. I think he's he's shown you what he can do, and it's not, it's mediocre. Our, our, Colorado State is not as historically bad as San Jose State. Colorado State should be in a bowl game. And if he goes two and ten, if things go really, really haywire, or three and nine again, I don't think you settle for an old, out of date coach, and you just go ahead and go pick up one of these young coordinators that could really bring a fresh new perspective, a fresh new feeling to the program. That's fair enough, you know. And it's funny to me because when you were saying he's an older coach, he's—I mean, you're using like those those kind of words. Uh, I can't help but feel like if this was a different coach, you'd call him a veteran coach and not just an older coach. Okay, a veteran coach is a coach that's been around a long time and won places. An older coach is someone who, an older coach is someone who's outstayed their welcome in college football and really and truly shouldn't have got another job. Yeah, the next episode we're gonna have is we're just gonna. Uh, I believe what we need to do is we need to just open a dictionary and start looking at words and, and like like facts, opinion. Um, veteran, old, just find out the differences. I just, Brandon, okay, if you're a recruit, okay, I want you to picture, you're not a power five recruit, you're a group of five recruit, you're not the best, but you're not trash, you probably started your high school team, you did some nice things, you get an offer to a program who has a, who has a good young coach, kind of like UNLV, they get Oregon's offensive coordinator in his 30s, and you get to play in that fun offense. He's young. He's exciting. He brings energy to the program. Or do you want to go play for a dude who coached at Boston College for 10 years and never won anything? No, I mean, I get what you're saying, but that doesn't really change the fact that he is a veteran head coach. Okay, he's a veteran, but he's not someone you, I would want to play with. No, I didn't say Nick, he was. Nick, I, I think it's I think it's a little ridiculous that, that we're putting him on the, or you're putting him on the hot seat when he hasn't even, you know, he hasn't even stepped on the field. In Colorado, yeah. Okay, looking at this conference, I would vote if I had to rank the coaches in this conference, I'd put him last. Really? Yeah, I would. 
That's really tough. I would. I'll put them last. That's crazy. Uh, man, look, I, you, I, I will say this. I can respect you because you, you choose your takes and you, you do stick to them. I'll say that. You don't, you don't usually turtle on your takes, no matter how I don't. bad they are. I, I do my research. The stats back me up. I, I'm not a no, hard no, I guy. Didn't say, I didn't say they were good. I said that you stick to them. Okay. You, you know what? I would say my takes are pretty good. I don't know. Um, you know, if he gets fired this year, man, you know you're never going to hear the end of it on this podcast. Let's make a bet. All right. Um, let's let's do it. <laughs> I, I, I'm for it. Um, but, yeah, guys, that, that wraps up our hot seat segment for today. We're going to go ahead, move on, third segment of the day here. And over the last two episodes, we broke down the cost of all quarterbacks into tiers. We decided that's going to take an outrageous amount of time doing this for the other positions. So last episode, we broke down the best of the best backfields in college football going into next season. And in case you missed that episode, Brandon and I will be picking two programs that we think have the best positional unit for the next season. Today, we move move and break down best wide receiver rooms in the country. So, Brandon... Who is your first pick for the best wide receiver room in the country? You you love putting me on the spot. I, I know you okay. do. Um, let me. You want me to go first? I'll go first here if you want would, me to. I would love for you to go first. Okay. But I've already got my. No, no. You know what? No, no, no. I'll, I'll go first. I'm not going to back down from this. This is a challenge. Um, and I'm going to get. I'm probably going to get slaughtered for this one. But I'm going to go with my first pick. Um, how do you choose a wide receiver room as your number one that isn't the University of Alabama this upcoming season? Oh, I mean, they they were not my first pick, but go ahead. Really? They were my second, they were my number 2 team. So I'll I'll build with you off. I'll just go ahead and skip to my second team and I'll I'll build right. off with you here. Let's talk about it. I mean, they have a wide receiver his name is Devontae Smith, ever heard of him? They have another one his name is Jalen Waddle, ever heard of him? And I honestly think, I mean, they have others. It's not like they're it's not like they're just leaning up. Well, they will be leaning on those two more than likely, but uh, I mean, they have I mean, they have other wide receivers like Tyrell Shavers. He's a redshirt junior. Um, uh, Xavier Williams, a sophomore. Um, you know, John Mechie the third, Treshawn Holden, Janarius Townsend. I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I can go on forever if you want me to, but I don't need to because you've already heard those first two names. You've heard Jalen Waddle, who is, I mean, we can't, is he the fastest man on the planet? Maybe. Um, and Devontae Smith, we already know he was just playing rock, paper, scissors to see what route he would run on the field this past season. We know how good Alabama's wide receivers are. We saw what kind of star they made Mac Jones look like last season whenever he had to step in for Tua. Um, he even made Talia look like a star whenever he stepped in because they are that good. You know, I don't think this legacy leaves simply because Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs are gone at Alabama. I think it continues on. Um, this, this, I don't even know what to call it. Alabama is, is going to leave the college football world. You know, when we look back at the history, we're going to look at this run from the 2000s to the 2010s to the 2020s, late 2000s anyway, as, as a generation where Alabama football, I don't want to say conquered the wide receiver position, but they put out some stars. Uh, I mean, okay, so the reason they're, uh, I think it's an obvious second choice for me. I think they're very, very strong at the top. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. Smith's had over 2,100 yards and 23 touchdowns in his career, and he hasn't even been the number one target 
And, you know, I think he this year he's going to be the number one target, and I think he's going to be in for a huge jump in production. I think he could be more productive than Jerry Judy. I think Jerry Judy was a very is going to be a very I think he's going to be a better NFL player than he was college player. If that makes sense, I don't know if he yeah. fit the system exactly right at Bama. I think Devontae Smith does, and that leads me to my favorite player on Alabama's team, Jalen Waddle, man. This kid's probably one of my favorite college players, even as an Auburn fan. I mean, he's filled with elite talent and is one of the top three fastest players in college football. In only two years of limited action as a wide receiver, over 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns. And I think he should be a leading candidate for the Bolitnikoff right now. I think he's right up there with Tylen Wallace. I think he's right up there with Jamar Chase. I think Jalen Waddle is a better receiver than Devontae Smith, but might get overlooked just because he's a, he's a little bit younger. And right. my breakout player for this receiving core, you already mentioned him, Tyrell Shavers. He's a redshirt junior, has seen barely any playing time, but he's 6'6", 205, and is a deep threat that can complement the shiftiness of Waddle and Smith down the stretch. I think He's explosive and has the ability to stretch the field. So I think he is someone to really watch that then the average fan might not know his name. Because I think the 6'6 part is something we haven't seen Alabama have in a while. They haven't had that big, long, tall receiver since probably Julio. Yeah, that's true. Ah, man, so my f- number one team here, um, I think they're – they're number one by leaps and bounds, Brandon. I, I like Alabama's receiving core. I just think this one is just too deep to argue with. And that's Ohio State. I think Okay. The, I think the a take. That's a what? I said what a take, okay. <laughs> I think they have the top wide receiving core by a long like uh, a giant amount. We've talked I mean, we talked in our interview. Uh, with the Ohio State play-by-play, we talked about Chris Chris Olave. He's going to take over as a top wide receiver and is prompt for a huge season. I mean, he ranked second in touchdowns and top 10 receiving yards in the Big Ten, and he was like the number three option on this team last year. He already has over 1,000 yards in his career and 15 touchdowns, and he's averaging almost 20 yards per catch throughout just two years at Ohio State. And I think Olave is going to bust on a lot of people's radars this this season. And that takes me to Garrett Wilson. One of the will be one of the best number two threats in the country. He's he, he didn't have a very big role last year, but it's coming in year two in Columbus. I mean, just last year he had over 400 yards and five touchdowns as a true freshman, and he really came on strong late against Clemson. He made the outstanding big catch, um, the one where you know everyone was like, "Is it a catch? Is it this?" Like he he can bomb on people, guys, and he has and. As a true freshman, he played in 13 games and ha- now has the experience to be a real impact. I think he understands the offense better. I think he's used to playing Big Ten football now. And, Brandon, this brings me to the two reasons I picked Ohio State as my top wide receiving core in the country. And the first, and there's two pieces to this final puzzle, and the first is Julian Fleming. Insert him into the equation. He was the number one wide receiver in the country last season, the number one overall player according to ESPN, and the number two overall player for 247. Brandon, out of Pennsylvania, this kid has two state records of 77 receiving touchdowns and over 5,500 receiving yards. 
in in yeah, his right. in it, oh it's all right um Pretty all right yeah uh, he played 13 games a year in high school <laughs> okay and i think this kid is the most talented receiver in the big 10 before even stepping on the field i do i think this kid is the real deal. If you don't know him, his name is Julian Fleming. Guys, go watch his huddle highlights. This kid is one of the best wide receiving prospects I've ever seen in my life. He is that good. And, you know, you think, okay, well, they can key on him. Well, that's fine, because guess what? They have another five-star wide receiver. And Jackson Smith, um, I cannot pronounce that. I think it's Najigba. Um and he's a te- he was the Texas 6A player of the year, Brandon. Another five-star. Okay. And so, Brandon, he played 44 high school games, okay? He had 5,300 yards receiving and over 82 touchdowns. I mean, yeah, I, I hear you. And I, and I understand he's very good. But That's almost two touchdowns a game every single year. Every, every, almost two touchdowns a game for his whole career. And last season, in only 13 games, Brandon, he caught 104 passes for over 2,000 yards and 35 touchdowns. I mean, it's all right. He, that's like 2.4 touchdowns per game. <laughs> you're getting so mad. I love it. <laughs> and, and the reason I picked them, if you're a defense, so Alabama has two stars, right? Alabama doesn't have another five-star on the roster. They have a bunch of guys who are developmental prospects who are unproven. Ohio State has two of the best wide receivers in the country, the number one player in the in this past recruiting class coming in, and then two guys who dominated their freshman year. Who do you key on? And then the biggest thing is you got to trust Matt. I think Matt Jones is good. I think Justin Fields is going to make him even da- more dangerous. How do you yeah, stop him? That doesn't. I I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't make them better wide receivers because they have a better quarterback. Okay, I'll say this: I think Julian Fleming is is at least two times better than Devontae Smith at playing wide receiver. That is that is outrageous. I, you know what? I'll even say this: I think if by the time their careers end, Julian Fleming is going to have at least a thousand yards more receiving than Devontae Smith did. I think he's going to be that much better. I get your okay. I, so Zach plays a game where he needs to have outrageous takes, um, and I'm going to call him out on it. Outrageous take. How Absolutely. is that an outrageous take? I don't know. And I thought I had outra- outrageous takes. What do you mean? He's that much better than Devonte Smith, who was arguably one of the best wide receivers in the in the in the country last year. Uh, well, have you even paid attention to this Julian Fleming kid? Yes. Uh, yes, Zach. <laughs> I, have. I think he'll be a better wide receiver next year than Devontae Smith will. All right, we'll see. Uh, it, it's fine. It's fine. So, Brandon, who is your second team? My second and, team. And, and, and if it is who I think it is, I will come through this mic and we're going to have to fight. Go Tigers. Um, oh first God. off, what I would like to say is uh, two words. I like to say Jamar Chase. Those are the first two words. Um I have three more words. Those are Terrace Marshall Jr. And then I have two more words. That's Trey Palmer. Those are the three projected starters this upcoming season. Zach, how can you argue with me here when Jamar Chase had literally – he was literally the best wide receiver in college football last year. Okay, he Jamar, won the bullet in the cough. Going into uh, – okay, hear me out. No, uh, I'm hearing. No, okay. 
it's going into the ne- next season. I I have him ranked as the second best wide receiver in the country. And who's your first? Tylen Wallace, because Tylen Wallace was on pace to be better than Jamar Chase before he got hurt. You know what's crazy is that um, speaking of players who get hurt, let's talk about Terrace Marshall Jr. from this past season. He played twelve games. He had to sit out a game. He was or a few games. He was hurt. Um, and, and guess what his stats were, Zach? He still had nearly seven hundred yards receiving. He still had thirteen receiving touchdowns. So I mean, I'm just backing this up. Uh, those are two premier wide receivers, and then we have Trey Palmer, who's a, he played in five games this past season, um, and and he's a threat too. I mean, just because he he's going into his sophomore season, he can still he's still a serious threat on the football field. And I didn't want to bring up tight ends, but I will. Eric Gilbert, because he's probably more of a wide receiver than he is a true tight end, is coming in to LSU as a true freshman this upcoming season. And this kid, and we've already harped on him before. Zach, you are high on this kid. He is going to be a star. He's a monster. He's going to be a star. So, I mean, it's it's not that ridiculous for me to say that I think LSU has one of the top wide receiving cores in the nation. They they definitely had the best one last year. And I, I think that Justin Jefferson leaving bumps them down to two. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I mean, it makes sense. It's adding up, huh? It's it's not like it's, it's right. outrageous. It's tight. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, all right. so okay. I mean, I just think Alabama and Ohio State are better. I would say, I would say, I said Alabama was better. I know. I would, I would say, I would, I would put rank LSU's wide receiver core fourth. Okay. Well, who's third then, Zach? Because this is starting Oklahoma to State. Oklahoma State. Just because of Tylen Wallace. No, because they had when Tylen Wallace went down, they had two other true freshmen step up and dominate in the limit action they saw, and they got some really really good wide receivers coming into there. I almost put Oklahoma State second. That's wild. Okay, I hear you. Uh, I mean, okay, so I, I think all these picks are star driven too. So the fact that I think Tylen Wallace is the best wide receiver in the country really bumps them up. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I, I mean, let's not sleep on Tylen Wallace here. Once we move oh, to no, breaking he's, down, he's well, fantastic. Like, yeah, once we move to breaking down individual players in these positional groups, it's going to be on with him, man. I think he's a stud. But I, I respect that. Listen, Jamar Chase is going to be the top wide receiver taken, and could be. What? When's the last time a wide receiver was taken in the first pick? I can't even remember. It's, That's it's what I'm saying. Wild. I don't even know if it's happened, like, <laughs> to be yeah. completely honest with you. And I, I really think Jamar Chase could make a serious run at it if a team that doesn't need a quarterback is sitting in that number one spot. That's true. Well, I mean, yeah. uh, Matt, when we broke down the mock draft of Matt uh, Miller, he had Jamar Chase going second. I know, I know, which is great. Well, behind Trevor Lawrence. he's uh, Unless Trevor Lawrence returns, which you were just dead set on that take, and I can respect that, that you just that you live and die on one take, um, then he'll be number one overall, and it's not even close. I mean, even if you don't need a quarterback, we've already talked about this, and this isn't this conversation, but even if you don't need a quarterback, you're going with Trevor Lawrence here. You have to. Yeah, but, I mean, there are some stupid teams. Like, what happens if the Giants get the number one pick? You know them. They'd be stupid. <laughs> I hear you, and, and, like, and, and, like, and, and like the Raiders, because they don't ever pick who they need to pick. Exactly. They'd be like, listen, Derek Carr is better than Trevor Lawrence. No, we, we already have Marcus Mariota. We don't need, we don't that, need Trevor Lawrence. 
You see, that's gonna someone's gonna like get this episode and crop and like isolate that quote of that like audio bit, and we're gonna be exiled from the sports podcasting world. Yeah, I know. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get blackballed. <laughs> but guys, we're gonna put these up for votes on social media. Who has the best wide receiving core in the country? Is it L- is it LSU? Is it Alabama? Is it Ohio State? You guys can let us know when we put those up. We're gonna move on. Last topic of the day, guys. Um, as we usually do, we end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. Um, check out all our most recent episodes to catch up on updates from around the country. Maybe your favorite teams included. But today, we head down to Miami Beach, guys, to analyze the Miami Hurricanes 2021 recruiting class. They're trying oh, yeah. to follow. They're trying to follow up a top 15 class from last season, and Manny Diaz is bringing in some great talent to hopefully bring back the old you and this class right now is loaded with five top 300 recruits and the hurricanes still have multiple spots in the class open so the work is not done on this trail and so brandon what is your take on this class and what do you see for miami in the future i mean you can't argue with the 12th national ranked uh uh class in the country i understand they have 14 or I'm sorry, 15 uh, commits at, at this point in time, which obviously will boost their numbers a little bit. But I mean, the recruits they have are solid. You know, they they have. I mean, what is this? It's uh, I believe seven four star recruits right now, and that honestly is very good for Miami. I understand last year was like an anomaly where where everyone was kind of wondering, hey, how in the world are they doing this? Um, and this recruiting class may not be quite that, but I mean, there's still a lot of players out there. And and, and here's the main thing I've, I've been harping on over the past few segments, uh, past few times we've done this, and I'm going to continue to harp on here. Um, it's, it's the geographic locations of where these teams are recruiting. And they 14 out of their 15 recruits are from the state of Florida. It looks like they have really turned their recruiting um, back to the state of Florida. You know, there was obviously Miami – recruits Florida a lot, but they have focused and honed in on that state, which produces tremendous amounts of talent in college football. And it looks like they've got it locked down. I mean, I understand there's a lot of recruits from Florida, so it's not like, oh, they took 14 of them. No, but I mean, they took the, uh, they took the number 24, 26, 32nd, 36th, and 50th best best players in in that state. And that's not, I mean, that's not like, Nothing. I mean, that's that's very good for Miami. Yeah, I mean, it's the same approach, same strategy that Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson took when building the U dynasty back in the 80s. Um, right. Manny Diaz is trying to find some stability here, and this class is, has a, is a strong start, but there are some holes that Miami needs to fill later. Um, I'm looking at someone like Leonard Taylor, Brandon. I mean... Five-star, number three defensive tackle in the country, a top 30 player, and he's trending toward Florida, but he's from Miami Palmetto, and you can never count out Miami in that area. And then another one is Japari Ishmael, 217th ranked player, but he's the number 14 weak side defensive end. He's a huge D-line target because... Um, you know how we're, they're losing Quincy Roche and most likely Gregory Rousseau, so they're going to need some defensive linemen to really help their defense. And think about Ishmael; he's trending toward the U because his father is the strength and conditioning coach there. But nowadays in recruiting, you never know. 
Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right there. Um, players just kind of go where they want to go. There's a lot of players that want to have their, their own legacy and they don't want to go where they're maybe where their parents coach or maybe where their parents went, because that means they're following in their footsteps. They want to make their own, uh, their own footsteps to say, I mean, I guess that's how I can say it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, I mean, it, have you, I mean, you've obviously looked at it. It, it looks like they have Miami like locked down. Like, I know I said they, that they have Florida locked down, but a lot of their players are either like their commits are either from Miami or from towns that are near Miami. I mean, we've got like Fort Myers. Um, we've got Pompano Beach, uh, Hollywood, Florida, Fort Lauderdale. I mean, those, these are all Miami area. It, it looks like they're really locking that area down. Yeah, and they should. Miami should be landing recruits from that area with ease. And the fact that they got away from that in the mid two thousands, or you know, in the Mark Richt era, is really, really disappointing. And you know, I, I think they're t- they're I think it's their overall third rank recruit, but the one that I think is the best is Thad Franklin um, out of Hollywood, Florida. He's he's only about he's only ranked in the two hundred and twenty area in national but he's a top 15 running back but guys he's 6'1 225 as a junior right now he's a physical big running back and really could carve up defenses up the middle man i mean he's gonna make defensive backs avoid contact um and he can add more muscle he has room to grow and i think that makes franklin one of the more physically dominant running backs in the class um and in three years of high school, Brandon, he's already run for over 4,300 yards and 47 touchdowns. He's a yeah, multiple, he's a multiple time state champion and it, it shows his winning instinct is something that Miami has been missing and needs right now is the players that know how to win. And this kid, Thad Franklin is going to step right in and really, really help the culture and just the, the offense of Miami, which has been a weak point when, when Louisiana tech holds you to seven points in a bowl game, that's embarrassing. No. Yeah. And you should be embarrassed if, if, if you're, uh, if you're Miami right now after that loss. Um, but yeah, I mean, this recruiting class, I mean, it, like I said, it, they've been trending upward since this past season um, when they landed that 15th ranked recruiting class, like you mentioned. Um, obviously, their D-line is looking stout right now, uh, but they're losing those players, like you said. And so they need someone to step up here. Um, and it looks like, I mean, they've got, a, they've got uh, I, I believe they only they have like two defensive tackles right now. I don't see any defensive ends. Um, so they really need to probably step up in that area. But Manny Diaz must be doing something right right now, you know, to to be able to have Miami in this sort of contention that they haven't been in for years. It's been a, it's been a long time, and you know, speaking about defensive line, I usually highlight the top prospects, but I'm gonna go ahead and give you my overlooked prospect, and that's Alan Hay. He's 817th ranked overall recruit. Number the uh, he's a top fifty defensive tackle, which give give or take what you say. I mean, that's still pretty good, guys. Um, he he's a teammate of Thad Franklin. He's out of Hollywood, Florida, and Brandon. He's only played football since tenth grade. You love those those storylines for these players. No, just I recently mean, started playing football. You love I mean, them. He grew up playing soccer and basketball, and Brandon. This is why I love it. I mean. This kid in his only his first second year of football 
is all, had 68 tackles and six sacks as an interior defensive lineman. He was an yeah. all he was an all county honorable mention in his first real year of football and dominated as such an inexperienced player. The only thing I see a problem with is his speed needs a little bit of improvement. But since he projects solely as a defensive tackle, it's not a huge concern. He's six one six two, adding some muscle will put him easily over three hundred pounds, and he is going to be a force on the inside. He's going to be a problem, yeah. and when this oh, kid. Develops and when he learns and when he learns and develops his game further, it's going to make a problem late in his career. I think he redshirts his first year, but listen to this name, Alan Hay. You will know his name soon. He's going to be the next great Miami defensive lineman, even though he's barely in the top a thousand of prospects this 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 class. Yeah, Zach needs to be like a scout because he and I'm not even make I, I like to make fun of you a lot. I'm not even making fun of you right now. You seriously, you have like a pretty good eye. When when you say players going to be good, they typically do turn out well. As much as I like to make fun of you about it, um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, just watch out for this kid's name. If I don't know, if you need to like make some money or something, like bet on him, like his Heisman props or whatever. Zach probably might know what he's talking about. We're not sure. <laughs> In Hollywood, Florida, man, there's some kids that come out of there. That is that is a hotbed of football talent, guys. When when I oh, see yeah. Hollywood, Florida next to someone's name, I'm like, oh, he could probably ball. He can ball. <laughs> he can probably ball. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. But, but, you know, we always break down the top prospect in this class. And this is the first time, okay, I'm going to be a little critical here, guys. This is the first time the top recruit in a class we've covered is a developmental prospect, in my opinion. I okay. think the top recruit in this class is Lawrence Seymour. He's a, number, he's a top, um, I think he's what, a top 160 overall recruit, the number nine offensive guard in the country. And but I think he's a developmental prospect, man. I mean, his his height's only six one. That's a major concern. So he'll he'll probably have to stick at guard or center because of his height. But his speed, man, he's almost at a five six, and that's 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 a real concern for me because guards tend to be a little bit on the faster side, and five yeah, six is really really slow. But that's still a forty yard dash. Let's look at his shuttle for a second, and it's going to reaffirm what you're saying, but. The shuttle run's really what you need when we're looking at like pure quickness, like you would need a, a no line position like guard. And he runs a four nine, which not great. Really not great. It's not good yeah. when, when people are running their forty yard dashes faster than you're running your shuttle run. Yeah, that's what like, I'm saying, man. That, and it's not and it's not like it's not like I'm talking about like skill uh, positions or anything. I'm talking about like other offensive linemen are running faster than this sometimes. <laughs> like that's yeah. bad. Yeah, he's got to work on his quickness, his speed. Uh, that's major, major concerns for me. But he makes it. He makes up. He makes these weaknesses up with his physicality. But he does have. Okay, so yeah, it might sound like he lacks in athleticism because of his shuttle and forty. He really is an athlete. He he's he's a unique blocker. He can make every block. He gets to the second level very, very well, and. His physicality is what stands out to me, man. I mean, this guy—if he sees you just uh, as as you know, our coach, um, uh, Coach French would say, lollygagging across the field, um, he will knock you out, man. I mean, this dude looks for the pancake. He looks for the big hits, and 
I like his aggression, and he does have longer arms for his height. And I think he'll he'll be he'll he'll be fine blocking. I would just like to see when he gets to campus, take a redshirt year, take a year of development, and maybe as a sophomore junior, he could be ready to start because I think he does have the potential to be a staple in this Hurricanes offensive line. Yeah, man, I definitely hear you out, and I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right there. Um, also, I don't love that their top recruit is this. I mean, you already mentioned that, so I won't harp on that too much. But um, I think they've got some work to do on the recruiting trail. I mean, their top player right now is 158 in the country, and that's as Miami. I feel like Miami needs to be working a little bit, uh, working a little bit harder to get to get recruits. I mean, especially like skill positions, positions they really need. And I understand they need to build that offensive line there. Um, which they've done a great job of. I mean, if that's what you're trying to do, they've got this guard and they've got a, a, another four-star tackle and a four-star tight end. So uh, um, then they have a three-star center who's, I don't want to say like super close to being a four-star, but he's close enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were focusing on the O-line, but, uh, you know, I would love to see Miami focus a little bit more to get uh, like, I guess, more highly touted recruits. Yeah, and a lot of these, uh, so yeah, there are some highly touted recruits that have committed, but a lot of them are seem like they're going to be they're going to wait, and I think that's the move here, especially with COVID. Let's wait to take these visits. Let's wait and see what's going on, and you never know. I mean, I I really think a lot of these recruits are going to either decommit or wait, and so Miami has some time. They have a lot of developmental talent. They have a lot of overlooked talent. So I think this class is one that should finish in the top 15, maybe the top 20, but it's going to be a class where if the coaches do what they're supposed to and develop talent, this class is going to be when I know the athletic and ESPN do this thing where they go back and re-rank recruiting classes based on development. This class is going to be one of those classes where it's going to pop up in the top 10, top five, and it's going to be like, well, these kids were just overlooked in high school, and I really see that coming out of this class. Yeah, I can definitely see that too. But guys. That is a wrap on this episode. Um, you know, we'll be back later this week. We got the Audible finally episode two coming out Wednesday. We'll be live streaming. It'll be live on um, YouTube. It'll be live on Twitch, Facebook, Periscope, all that good stuff. I'll make an we'll make an announcement on social media about it. So please join us. Send us our your questions on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, or just join us on the live stream. Check us out. Ask your questions live. We're answering everyone's questions. So let us know what you want to talk about. It's, this episode is for you. Um, it'll be available on YouTube even after the live stream. So go back and check it out later. Um, we'll be back with episode Friday as well. We got big things in the works, guys. But Instagram at the underscore underscore blue bloods. Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods. Facebook at the blue bloods pod. You know the deal there. Um, rate, subscribe, listen to the podcast wherever you listen, man. Tell your friends, family, everyone, spread the word. Uh, merch coming soon. A big announcement's coming soon. Um, all that good stuff. You guys keep listening. Uh, keep subscribing. You know how that works. Um, but right now, we out.